This morning, uh, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad you're here today. We're going to begin a journey during the next few Sundays, about five Sundays before Easter, uh, during what's called the Lenten season in the church year. And uh, we're going to be playing and wrestling with the idea of what we're titling the series Reconstruction or Deconstruction and Restoration. Let me say that again Deconstruction and Restoration. Deconstruction and Restoration. You got it. That's what we're going to be looking at. Let me talk a little bit about this, then we're going to pray and read some scripture today. We put this out there in our social media posts and elsewhere, but we've noticed in the church, especially in the last, I would say, five to ten years, we have more and more stories in North America of people who are leaving the faith or going through what they're calling a deconstruction of their Christian faith and experience. This deconstruction uh, often involves people walking away from the church and being loud, whether they're pastors or theologians or uh, music makers and worship folks as well. There's been several big profile names that have done this. Um, And it's not necessarily anything new, but in a context where North America is less culturally Christian, it's interesting how these are received uh, in the larger world out there, pop atheists will often jump on these stories and uh, ride them and beat that horse until it's dead. And that's an awful saying, but they're, that saying of just keep going over it again and again and again. But when we talk about deconstruction during this Lenten season, or reconstruction, or restoration of faith, is also another way to think about this. Uh, there's some images that I want you to have in mind. That there are these wandering impulses that all of us have. There are these moments in our faith where we do have to tear some things down in order to experience a new direction and new life with Christ and in our experience of God. And that deconstruction phase is nothing new. The ancients have talked about this for 2,000 years. We even read about it in the New Testament. We read about it before Christ in the Old Testament as well. So, Uh, One of the books that we talked about a year ago was Janet Hagberg's book, The Critical Journey. And in that book, she and Robert Goulish, a New Testament scholar, talk about this time in one's spiritual journey where you hit a wall with God, which can be experienced as a loss of faith. It can be experienced because of a life crisis. Maybe a relationship went south. Maybe a career went south. Maybe there a physical thing happened in our bodies or with someone that we cared about. But this idea of a wall, dark night of the soul, or what now is more popularly termed deconstruction, is nothing new. It's something that's been there all along. But some of us have been raised in church where we never talked about this. For me, again, I I was referenced because the place where you became a Christian, often you have a lot of those early memories. We didn't talk a lot about the deconstruction phase of faith. We were just like, power through, go back to Sunday school and say, yay, Jesus, and everything will be well. And yet we missed the point that maybe there's something deeper that God wants to do in those places of deconstruction, in those dark nights of the soul, in that place where we hit the wall. And so Lent is a natural time to talk about this as we move into Easter Sunday. If we jump right into Easter, but we forget about the days and the weeks that led up to the crucifixion of Jesus that we remember on Good Friday, we miss something important about how we are formed as spiritual beings created in God's image and likeness and the material and spirit together in the case of humanity. And Lent is a good season to slow down and enter into that a little bit. Now, it's not to depress you, and it's not to make you sad, and it's not to beat anyone down or anything like that, but rather that sometimes in these moments are some of the deepest work God does 
And what comes after the wall is something uh, important that we can enter into. And if we forget it, we may forget that God will bring us through these times if we're willing to journey with him into the depths of it. So let me define deconstruction a little more. I'm pulling from any number of sources. Deconstruction, one person put, is the systematic pulling apart of a belief system that you are or were in a major faith transition And again, during Lent, we're looking at this deconstruction and restoration phase of life. One person put it this way, many Christians are deeply fearful and traumatized by their own curiosity, deeply fearful and traumatized by their own curiosity because maybe the structure in their faith community or their theology. And I might pause and say as well, when people are coming into Christianity for the first time, they are also going through deconstruction. And of course, the secular world and Christians who have left the faith don't necessarily want to talk about that, but there's also deconstruction when your Jesus is calling out to you and you have encounters with Christ or his community or divine love or art and beauty and no longer do the answers of simple materialism suffice. There is also a deconstruction that's massive when you become a Christian out as an adult and particularly out of a system that has told you that this is the way the world is and this is how you're to think and this is what you're to listen to. There's also massive deconstruction that happens in coming to faith, and we need to not forget that as well. So let me share a little more, and then I do want to pray and read some scripture today. Are you with me? I hope you're excited in sort of a strange way for this series. Brian Zond is a pastor who has gone through this some years ago in his own ministry while pastoring a mega church in sort of the middle south of the U.S. And he talked about this, he said, in describing my journey of rethinking Christianity Over the past, this was written a few years ago, but 12 years, now closer to uh, 18 years, he said, I used a couple of images or metaphors, and one I would call the end of the line. He said, I used this when I was speaking to a publisher, and he said, I'm reminded of times, and he travels quite a bit. He's a megachurch pastor after all. Me, my traveling involves Burnaby and maybe Surrey. Uh, But he said, that was funny. Come on. Okay. You guys play. All right. He said, I'm reminded of times when I've been to Paris and traveling across the city on the metro system. He said, if I wanted to travel from Notre Dame to Montmartre, I can't do it on one train. At some point, I have to get off or disembark and find the correct platform and catch another train. He says, if you've never done it in a new city before, it can be very confusing. And he said, this analogy is a confusion that he believes some evangelicals conservative to moderate Christians feel in the first part of this 21st century. It says, we've reached a terminus, we've reached an end, and we need to find another platform. We need to catch a new train, and we're not quite sure what it is. But of this, we can be quite certain the train we've all been on will not carry Christianity in the 21st century in a compelling and engaging way. And he said, no matter how enthusiastically we sing, give me that old-time religion while we sit on a motionless train. What is the train? What is this train that's stuck at the station? And he says, I think it can be summed up as Christianity characterized by protest or this era of protesting. We need to face the reality that the protest train has come to an end of the line and we need to switch to the other line. He says there's other images as well. When he said uh, a great book I read a couple years ago of his water to wine This idea of being transformed from a watered-down Christianity to the robust Christianity, the wine of Christ. 
Finding the right platform to catch the right train will carry us onward. Watered-down consumer Christianity that has been common in North America uh, and even Europe in the past, or this idea of cultural-only Christianity will not move us into the future. And so he likes this idea of watered-down consumer Christianity being robust wine. One other image which talks about rethinking Christianity and he says, there's this other image that we hear, and I agree with him, but I'm still going to use the word as deconstruction. Believers in process of tearing their faith apart and trying to figure out what is true and dogma. And he says he's sympathetic with that, but he thinks that deconstruction is too negative, too, too destructive, as it were. And maybe a better image is art restoration. This idea of restoring something, the beauty and the intention of what it was. And I submit to you that in every generation, deconstruction is important for our faith, but really what we're aiming at is some form of restoration, of getting back to those message that brought the Christian uh, faith to the world. Uh, As an Anabaptist, we often talk about the first three centuries of the church, and no, you can't go back in a sense of a time travel, sort of like our, our guys on the video this morning, but there is a sense in which we have to be asking both historically and critically and with open arms and with experience of the Holy Spirit, what is it that caused this movement to go from this little tribal people in the middle of really uh, a small outpost in the Roman Empire at the time, what is it about Jesus that, that it caused it to explode across the known world and beyond and into places that we're still learning early Christianity went into that we have forgotten either because of conquests or whatever? Like, what, what was that? And I think about it in terms of the Bible. We're Bible-reading people. Uh, but keep in mind, when Christianity early on exploded, that was before we had the Bible, before we had the New Testament as we have it. It was the story of Jesus, the resurrected Christ, and the Holy Spirit that did something. And so for Lentz, I want to wrestle with this idea, again, that there are seasons of deconstruction and reconstruction, and some are healthier than others, and we want to explore that some more. So let's pray, and then I'm going to unpack a little more. Are you still... With me today, if so, say amen or yes. Okay, okay, great, wonderful. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your presence here today. And thank you that um, as we are physically sort of renewing the space we gather in here at Pilgrim, that that is a surface culture thing. Lord, I'm more concerned about the deep culture, that in this church we create space where people can wrestle with their faith, both those that are tearing down the lies of sort of pop atheism and and overblown naturalism and turning science into a religion instead of a way of knowledge and having encounters with you. So they're deconstructing that secularist scientism way of, of thinking into something more robust and joyful and bigger and beautiful. But also for those of us that have been with you for some time, And maybe some things we've held on to that aren't helpful and not aren't necessarily faithful to Orthodox Christianity, but they worked for a season or a couple generations or they worked for, uh, you know, a couple centuries. But now in this era we're in in North America and in many places in the world, some of those things need to be questioned and tore down. Uh, Lord, I pray that we can do that in grace and ultimately that it's not just about deconstructing, but also a restoration of something of its original beauty and truth and that can speak with fresh 
uh, fresh words and fresh eyes for this time and this season we're in as a church. I pray these things. And God, I'm a sinner and saint in process, saved by the marvelous grace of Jesus, as some are here today, many are here today. Lord, so I pray that we would hear each other with grace and we would dialogue in home church and that we would wrestle with the texts and the stories uh, and that we would see new people come to know a robust water-to-wine Jesus here at Pilgrim Church on pilgrimage, on a journey, and encounter you. But Lord, that we would be careful that we don't jump the gun, as it were, and jump all the way to Resurrection Sunday and forget that Good Friday and the life matters leading up to it. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let's dig a little more into this morning. As we look at this, uh, I shared a little bit from Brian Zond, I would say that my own journey has experienced some of these times of darkness and sort of new light as well. I think of early on, because I was saved as a child, uh, not born in the church, but very young, became a Christian as my mother and stepfather were also becoming Christians. Um, I had a certain set of gifts uh, were given to me in terms of beliefs and practices, and some of them are very much with me today. Some of them are no longer with me, and some of them have been renewed in new ways now that they were not the same when I first learned them. Uh, I think when I was uh, out of college or in college was one of the first big deconstruction moments in my life where I was wrestling with the image of God. And this has become very popular now, but it wasn't super popular. And we're talking about the late 90s here. Yes, I am that old. Some of you don't believe it. Uh, But the late 90s, as I'm in my 1920-ish in that range, and wrestling with what is my picture of God? And I remember reading a book that God used in my life that sort of just broke me. I mean, broke me completely open about how I pictured God because I was ready to say, forget it all. I'm done with this, as we often experience if you've been raised in the church or were a ch- I became a Christian as a young teen or a child in those early 20s, late teens years. That's totally common. Many turn away from the faith, thankfully, Even though my church was very dogmatic, we did have space for questioning, and I could push into it some more. They didn't know that's what it was, but they had space for that. And for me, it was a revelation of who God is and his character and a shifting of my theology from this sort of view of a human view of a super dictator tyrant into a self-giving God who dies on the cross for his creation. And as I began to internalize that and study it more and figure out, oh, there's a whole part of the church that actually moves in this direction It was life-giving for my faith. It saved me again, if I can use that language. Uh, I I was brought back into the kingdom as I was overwhelmed theologically and an experience of God's love uh, that changed my trajectory. But I tell you what, if I just stopped at the questioning and I didn't push any farther, I might have completely walked away from Christianity at that point. These things are part of the journey. We experience these wrestlings with our faith, and we are to... Uh, as a church, be okay with it and not simply tell people, go back to the same Sunday school lesson at, at level one because you're no longer in that place. That's like staying on the platform at the end of the line expecting the train to move you somewhere and God's saying, yes, but now it's time to move somewhere else in your journey. Go to the next platform. It's time to move on. Hope that makes sense. One of the authors I'm going to pull in today as we wrestle with two stories of journey in the scriptures, is uh, a guy named Jamie Smith, or James K.A. Smith, who I really enjoy a lot of his writings. I don't agree with everything, but it's some great stuff. And we're going to pull in some from him today on a book he calls On the Road with St. Augustine, On the Road with St. Augustine. 
Now, if you're familiar with literature, uh, in, in English language literature, uh, particularly in the States, there was a book written called On the Road about a guy's sort of traveling and seeing the road as the destination and experiencing all the pleasures and all the brokenness and all the things. Um, and it's sort of this book that leaves a sort of open-endedness. And uh, this guy is wrestling with it. So he's, he's playing with that book title. And Augustine is very much an ancient person like that, but who found Christ and was changed by Christ. And Christ found him as well. But Augustine says this. One of his most famous quotes is this. You, meaning God, you have made us for yourself. And our heart is restless until it rests in you. You have made us for yourself. And our heart is restless until it rests in you. So this morning, the main idea we're unpacking and introducing the series, there are multiple crisis points, as it were, or deconstruction points, or or times when we need to dig into restoration, put more positively, throughout the life. And realizing this ahead of time can provide you with insight before and after the darkness. By the way, when you're in it, you often can't hear what we're talking about today because you're fully immersed in it. But deconstruction is not the destination. It is something required along the way, but we should not see it as the thing. We often believe this lie, and we'll unpack this some more today and and other Sundays as well, that the journey is the destination. That's someone who's completely given up on the idea that there is a home that you were created for. And Augustine tells us this, that there is a home longing, that your home country, your hometown is not on this earth as it is, but it is in the fullness of God's kingdom when Jesus comes again. And he's placed that longing within you. And we can go down all kinds of other roads that can be sinful and destructive and all of that, trying to fulfill that longing, that restlessness, that our homeward yearningness can only be found ultimately in Christ and in the joy of the kingdom coming in the kingdom now. That there's something within us that is driving us and compelling us, and it can be used in many destructive ways, or it can be something that brings us ultimately home to the new recreated world that God desires. Richard Rohr, who is not someone I agree with on other areas, said this, said, people are very afraid of what looks like deconstruction. We're very afraid of this. And he talks about this. He says, you go back to the first 1,300 years of Christianity and faith was defined as a combination of knowing and not knowing, of knowing and unknowingness or not knowing for the first 1,300 years, a willingness and a readiness by the grace of God to live what I would call a certain tension or a certain degree of unknowing or what the mystics of Christianity would call darkness. He goes on and says this, now with that out of the picture, Many people get the impression that they have a right to perfect certitude or perfect certainty and perfect clarity and perfect order every step of the way. You're basically, and he says, I'm going to say it strongly, you've basically destroyed the biblical idea of faith to begin with when you want to live into certainty like that. Another theologian puts it this way, that we make certainty an idol. An idol. Say it with me. Certainty can be an idol. It can be an idol because, again, we're finite, right? And God is infinite. And so when we want to reduce God down to all of our particular boxes, we miss something that he calls us by faith to journey on, and he only gives us a little bit at a time, step by step, because we can't handle it. We're finite. He's infinite. 
And yet he comes to us and he speaks to us in the person of Jesus. So this impulse, have you ever had the impulse to just burn it all to the ground in some area of your life? Come on, be honest. Have you ever said, I just want to burn it all to the ground? Anybody? Raise your hand. Let me know. Let, be, I mean, I know it's very non-Canadian, but come on. If you, if you ever had that impulse, okay, some of you get it, some of you. I bet if all of us were honest, there's some decision at some point in your life where you were just like, forget it all, I'm going to burn it all to the ground. And some of you actually did that in some area of your life. You can talk about, well, you can, in home church, you can talk about those things, you know. Maybe it was a relationship you needed to get out of and you just had to burn it all to the ground, cut your bridges, could delete them, block them, do whatever you had and move on with life. Maybe that's for the younger generation. Uh, Maybe for the older generation, or, or all of us, if you've, you've immigrated, a lot of us have immigrated. Like we, in some ways, that's a huge deconstruction move, right? Like when you move, and, and you know, when I move, I can, I can become a Canadian citizen and keep my citizenship. But some of you, if you did that, full citizenship, the old place would be like, that's it. You know? uh, that's a deconstruction move of some type. We've all experienced these at some level. There is an impulse, too, in the church, I think. Burn it all to the ground. Burn it all to the ground. Over my years in ministry, I've heard this one again and again. Burn it all to the ground. Because the frustration when the organized part gets in a way of the organic part of the church flourishing. When the organism part, the little T traditions of men, get in the way of the new wine that God wants to pour out on every generation by a move of the Holy Spirit get in the way. And we're dying on the wrong hills. We're confusing first level issues with third level or lower issues. And when those get flipped around, people get frustrated. And they say, that's it, I'm going, I'm going to start my own thing, or I'm going to just leave the faith. And often the church sets up these false deconstruction narratives because we are being stubborn about the wrong things. We're not dying on the hill of Jesus' life and story, death and resurrection, and the glorious sending of the Holy Spirit, and the hope of this God who dies and enters into creation and puts on flesh. We're forgetting the importance of that story. We're forgetting that that is the truth that we build our lives on, and that all true churches are built upon that rock of Jesus Christ in our confession of faith in Him. When we die on the hill of the electric guitar or the organ, oh dear Lord, (laughs) we're so far down on the priority, Lord, I think God just sits there and he's like, you got to be kidding me, I'm bringing back chant, you know. Uh, (laughs) What do we die on? So naming this impulse to burn it all down is important in Lent. And remember too that the journey is, is not the destination. We get false hope in the road itself instead of where God is drawing us to. There are different kinds of deconstruction, God-chasing, God-driven, culture-driven, lust-driven, learning-driven. We could add to the list of all the things that get us into that place of wanting to tear something down or burn it to the ground and start over again. But let's talk about two stories as we move towards the end of this introduction message today. There are two stories in Scripture that come to mind. Two stories that sort of speak, I think, in part to this journey of different kinds of of deconstruction. Am I making sense? Because I can slow it even more down. Am I tracking with me? We're getting there. We're getting there. Okay, all right. There's a little fuzziness going on, but we'll get there. So there's two stories in Scripture that I think really speak to this. Abraham's journey and the prodigal son's journey. Abraham's journey and the journey of the prodigal son. Let me read you a little bit about Abraham's journey. We'll talk about that and then the prodigal son. In Genesis chapter 12, and if you want to turn in your Bible or move in your phone to Genesis chapter 12, we're going to read one of the most ancient stories. If you grew up in church, you've heard this probably a thousand times. If not, hear it with beautiful, fresh ears. There's a story of a guy named Abram. 
who God wants to build a relationship with to bring about the people of ancient Israel to use them to be a light to the nations and to be priests to the nations and declare his glory. But we're not to that point yet. We're at the front end of that story. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 says this. Now the Lord said to Abram. So Abram's having a visionary, an encounter with God one way or the other. And he hears this from God. Go out from your country, your relatives and your father's household to the land I will show you. Like this is immigrant story 101 right here. Go out from your country, your relatives and your father's household to the land I will show you. Then I will make you, then, then after you do this, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will exemplify the divine blessing. Let me pause at verse two and say this. Abraham's name is still great. It is great across the earth. It is great because of, you see it within Judaism, within Christianity, within Islam, within those that are reacting against all of those things. His name is still great. God promised Abraham, I will make you a great nation. And here we are grafted into the family of Abraham through Jesus. And his name is still great. I just want to pause and say, wow, that's amazing to me. That we are a part of this ancient blessing that continues on, that we have been grafted in. That's amazing to me. That God is faithful, even when we're running away from him, even when we want to deny him. Abraham, he said, your name will be great. And here we are, thousands of years later, talking about the name of Abraham. Think about that. It blows my mind. Is anyone awake this morning? Come on. Woo. That's crazy. He's faithful. Well, okay. Getting ahead of myself. He says, I will bless those who bless you, but the one who treats you lightly, I must curse, and all the families of the earth will bless one another by your name. And of course, ultimately, we see in Christ the fullness of this promise. So verse 4, Genesis chapter 12, verse 4, so Abram left. So Abram left. There are some deconstruction journeys that God is pushing you on that you need to get out of a situation, get out of a relationship, get out of a circumstance in order for God to position you so he can bless you not only to make your name great but to make the name of Jesus great and for others to come alive in God's grace. So he left. He went on the deconstruction journey. He went on the restoration journey. In this case, he didn't even know exactly. But Abraham left, I love that, just as the Lord had told him to do Some deconstruction is not driven by our sinfulness. Some deconstruction is not driven by uh, uh, our other, like being sought out by the things of the world. But sometimes it is a God-driven journey that is necessary for you to develop the kind of faith that you need to have to be the kind of person and people that he wants us to be. So Abraham left just as the Lord had told him to do and Lot went with him. Now Abram, hear this folks. I love this part. Silver saints, hear this word right here. Right here, he says, now Abram was 75 years old. 75 years old. If I was a bolder man, I'd say, how many of you are over 75 this morning? Raise your hands, but I'm not that bold, so don't do it. (laughs) And Abram took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired, this is the ancient world, uh, in Haran, and they left for the land of Canaan, and they entered the land of Canaan. A little few more verses, a few more in the story here. Abram traveled through the land as far as the oak tree of Morah, sometimes translated Moriah, at Shechem. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And then again, verse 7, the Lord appeared. So he has this visionary experience to Abram. And I still believe, by the way, that God appears and Jesus sometimes appears to people in dreams and visions and a sense that God, through our holy imagination, which is not just make-believe, and that it can do encounters. and, And God still does these things. 
Oftentimes, that's how, uh, you know, we read again and again about the stories and testimonies of Muslims being open to Christ uh, and cultures that are open to dreams and visions. God will often, Jesus will appear, and that, that pushes them to take another journey, a step of deconstruction towards Christ. That's where the local church is so important as well to help people connect those dots. So again, verse 8, or rather verse 6, Abraham traveled through the land as far as the oak tree, Verse 7, then the Lord appeared and said, to your descendants, I will give this land. And so Abram built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Then he moved there to the hill country east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And he built an altar to the Lord and worshiped the Lord. And Abraham continued journeying by stages down to the Negev. There is this first story of deconstruction of leaving that is necessary to follow God. He was 75 years old, and God said, head out. I've got something new for you. Now, wow, think about that. I've noticed in churches in the past that there tends to be two categories of old people, and I'm stepping out on a ledge here, I know. There are those, again, who said, I've lived a well life, and I'm, I'm, that's it, I'm done. And I'm going to fight everything, and I'm going to go down kicking and screaming. And then there are others who say, I want to have a flexible, pliable heart towards the Lord in all things. And yes, I have preferences. I'm a person just like every one of us. And yes, but at the end of the day, it's important that the, the, the story of God, the story of Christ goes forward. And I want to have an open heart. I pray when I reach my last third of life that I'm someone who wants to bless the next generation. And if the Lord says go and the Lord says give and the Lord says take a risk, I keep being willing to say, yes, I'll go. Yes, I'll give. Yes, I'll take a risk because you are worth it. My name means nothing. But if my name is attached to the advancement of Jesus' name, then it goes down in eternity as he was a servant of Jesus. Well, that's another sermon. Amen. One other story before we land this plane. There's another story of journey that I think will help frame the next few Sundays together. By the way, Smith, reflecting on Augustine, says this. For those of us that are tempted to go on the road and understand sometimes we need to go on that road, but sometimes, that's, sometimes it's the work of the enemy as well or our own brokenness. He says, it's on the road, by the way. We think, oh, I'm going to be so original. I'm going to deconstruct. I'm going to tear it all down to the ground. I'm going to be, I'm going to, uh, you know... Christians that leave the faith that were famous pastors or musicians or whatever that sit there and rail against the consumerism and all the brokenness of the church, fair enough, but they don't keep asking enough questions because then they flip around, enter the secular world, and do the exact same thing that they were complaining about in the church. It's like, what? Come on! How can you not see this rank hypocrisy? You know, all right. I mean, if you leave the faith over all those things and you turn around and you keep doing the same thing, you've just changed the bill of goods you're selling, you're still doing the same sin you're condemning. Oh, man, Lord, help me. That's a good one. On the road, you're always already following somebody. The question is, who are you following and where are they headed? Who are you following? Where are they headed? That road's already been laid. You didn't build that road. That reminds me of a good Obama quote. You didn't build that business. You didn't build that road. Somebody else built that road. You're driving on it. Somebody already has gone down that path. The question is, who are you following and where are they headed? And guess what? There's thousands of years of resources to wrestle with that. So let me read you this passage. Finally, Luke 15. Then Jesus said a man had two sons. And the younger of them said to him, Father, 
Give me my share of the estate, my inheritance that will belong to me now. And so the father divided his assets between them and said, okay. After a few days, the younger son gathered together all he had and left on a journey to the distant country. And it doesn't tell us the distant country. He's on a journey to the distant country. He's entering a deconstruction phase of life in the father's house. And there he squandered his wealth with a wild lifestyle. He did it all. And whatever you want to put in all, just put it in there because wild lifestyle. Then after he spent everything, a severe famine took place in that country. And he began to be in need. Deconstruction journey two is about to begin. Deconstruction journey one promised a lot, but it came to an end. Now number two starts. Verse 15, so he went on worked for one of the citizens of that country who sent him to the field to feed pigs. I had a grandfather who was a pig farmer. I remember as a small child, my grandmother taking me by the pigs to feed them. She literally didn't make me feed the pigs, but she would dump a bucket of what she called slop, leftover, we called organic waste, into the trough for the pigs. And boy, you don't want to get in the way of a pig when it's eating slop. I remember that very vividly as a small child, so this. What I'm trying to say is this is not a fun job. He's, he's going on pendulum swing in his far country experience. Sent him to the field to feed pigs. He was longing to eat the carob pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. The pigs' food looked good to him. He goes on and says this, but when he came to his senses, but when he came to his senses, but when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired workers have food enough to spare? And here I'm dying from hunger. I will get up and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired workers. Some of you are coming back to faith. Some of you are coming back towards your, your deacon. You're asking the deeper questions. You're doubting your doubts. And I want Pilgrim to be a church that's absolutely safe for the wandering son and daughter to come back no matter what they did in the far country, that this is a place of grace, that this is a place of mercy, for mercy triumphs over judgment. And he said, I want to come back. I want, to, I want Pilgrim to be a place where those that may have wandered from the faith say, that is a church I can go back to because they get it and they're okay with the questions and the mess. Just one part of a larger vision, right? So he goes on and says this, I'm no longer worthy to call your son. Treat me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way from home, his father saw him. And his heart went out to him. And he ran and hugged his son. And he kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father, we're almost done. Hang in there. We're almost there. But the father said to his slaves, hurry, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. And so they began to celebrate. You see, the road is also somebody's idea of where you should go. Be careful in the process of deconstruction, which we need to honor that there is different aspects of it. It's not all the same. And some of those paths of deconstruction is just simply somebody else's idea of where you should go. Even, Smith says, when you're alone on the open road, you're following somebody. Even when you think you're alone on the open road, you're following somebody else's path. To answer the call of the asphalt is to follow them. 
This prodigal son was itching for freedom. When you've been eaten up by your own freedom and realize that the loss of guardrails only meant ending up in the ditch, you start to wonder whether freedom is all it's cracked up to be or whether you're confusing freedom with something that truly is. One more Smith quote in this regard. When we imagine freedom as only negative freedom, freedom from constraint, freedom from guardrails, hands off liberty to choose what I want, then our so-called freedom ultimately binds us to captivity. Hear this out. This is a bit, this is, this is a gold quote here. When freedom is mere voluntariness, choosing what I want without further orientation or further goals, then my choice is just another means that I'm trying to fill that hole, that satisfaction in my heart, my inner being. And as long as I keep trying to find satisfaction in the finite created things, whether it's sex or adoration or beauty or power, I'm going to be caught in a cycle where I'm more and more disappointed in those things of power and sex and money and influence. I'm going to be more and more disappointed on those things and more and more dependent on them at the same time. It becomes an addiction. The road becomes an addiction instead of a destination to the home that you were made for. The road itself is not the journey. It becomes an addiction and it just wants more and more and more. But you're restless and you're weary and it stretches you thinner and thinner and thinner and thinner, diminishing returns. And eventually the road becomes necessary and I forfeit my ability to choose. What I thought was freedom now has me in captivity. And this is the danger in sort of late modern Christianity with deconstruction is that we begin to have deconstruction becomes its own opium. It becomes its own heroin. It becomes its own, what are the drugs that are, well, whatever. It becomes its own addictive drug that pulls us in and pulls us in and pulls us in. We have to understand that deconstruction is important, but it is not the ultimate destination. So be careful when you're listening only to those that are in the middle of deconstruction in the darkness. I think it was Parker Palmer who said this. Don't make major decisions in your desolation times because you will make the devil your spiritual director if you do. So on the road, you're always following somebody. The question is, who are you following and where are they headed? We're going to pick up more with that in two weeks. Our wonderful worship leader is going to be bringing the word to us next week. So for those of you that are weary of my long sermons, come next week. That's why we have uh, in-house and out-of-house guests to give you a break, and then we're going to dig back in. I think he might actually do some of this too, so prepare thyself. Uh, let me land this and say this. The Christian isn't just a pilgrim, but you're, we're our refugees. We're migrants in search of refuge. And it's not just about pilgrimage. It's not just about the journey. It's also about the destination. We were made for a home that God is making us into a new humanity and preparing us for. And to follow Christ, this is important. And the other thing I want you to understand today is that we must enter into deconstruction at several points in our lives if we're going to grow as people, as humans, and as continuing followers of Christ. The question is, what shape will the journey take? Any fool can tear something down Anybody can tear something down. It's, are you being strategic about it? And what are you aiming for after? So what? What's next? We want to wrestle with both sides of that deconstruction, restoration. What's next as well? What kind of pilgrim are you? Where are you headed? Who are you journeying with? I'll leave you with these words from the New Testament. The author of Hebrews chapter 11 says this. 
by faith. By faith, not knowing fully, not having certainty. Faith, in fact, uh, uh, certainty becomes an idol and gets in the way of faith. So new things can't enter in. If you want certainty ahead of time, you never experience the new thing. Because by very nature of a new thing, you can't know what it is until you experience it. So by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place, he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know exactly where he was going, because it wasn't just about Canaan, the physical land. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking and longing Forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And Hebrews author says this, All these people were still living by faith when they died, for they did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. They were on the journey with God and with Jesus, not knowing Jesus at this point. But they understood that there is a destination that is coming. People who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of the country they'd left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God has not been ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. We begin this journey of Lent by asking, what are the things that we need to begin to deconstruct in our lives? Or at least be aware that those moments will happen. But then we want to ask deeper and better questions of how we enter deconstruction and what and who are we journeying with and what are we journeying with as we go. And we need to understand that the road is not the destination. The destination is the destination in Christ, who Christ is, the ultimate fulfillment of what God wants to do. Let's pray and we're going to have communion. Father, there were... Some simple and big ideas put out today. And I love how you called Abram to go on that journey. That journey is also a metaphor for deconstruction. An image of how it actually works. That we leave something, we tear something down and we head towards something else. That's what happens in that. And Lord, thank you that Abraham gives us that model of a faithful way of moving forward. And we also see in the prodigal son another example of one who needs to tear down but maybe goes in a direction instead of finding a new direction with the father, goes in his own way, tears it all down and finds that it is empty and leaves him empty in more emptiness while promising all the freedom and joy he's empty. And he journeys to the father again and the father journeys to him (laughs) Let us learn this Lenten season. Let us lean into questions and doubt and learn how to doubt at the next layer and the next layer and learn that certainty can become an idol. Ultimately, there's only one thing that we can be certain of according to scriptures, Romans 8, is that God, you are love and that nothing can separate us from your love when we follow you in Christ Jesus. So forgive us when we keep attaching all these other things to Jesus plus this and that and the other thing. Move us forward as a people, we pray in your name. Amen.